G'day everybody, and for those who have come in late, you're listening to x the Fantasy Podcast. years ago, he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck, and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty, and all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die. The Phantom, the ghost who walked, the Phantom, enemies beware. The Phantom's always there, but you won't mind the Phantom. Hello, we are the Chronicle Chamber team, and this is X-Band, the Phantom podcast. Our website is chroniclechamber.com, and you can contact us via our email, which is chroniclechamber at gmail.com. You can subscribe to this via YouTube or via our iTunes, or if you're an Android user, the various Android apps as well. This is episode 180, The Phantom and Colour. My name is Jermaine, and as you can see, we are joined by a couple of us. Uh, Dan, how are you? Good, Jermaine. Um, yes, happy to be uh, sitting back on a Saturday night and uh, talking about The Phantom, and, and I'm looking forward to learning some stuff today, I think. Yes, yeah, uh, this is going to be a fun episode, I think. Um, uh, First of all, we must say that uh, this could be a good episode for um, if you normally listen to us via podcast or via audio only, this could be a good episode to watch us on YouTube because there's going to be lots of props, lots of images are going to show up on the screen and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so just be prepared for that. We will do our best to explain it uh, for those audio listeners as well, um, but we'll see how we go. So as you can see on the screen, if you're on our YouTube, but if not, we have four people today. We don't have Stephen. Stephen has the man flu and he has to start work. So we need to let him get better so uh, he can actually go to work uh, so he can keep uh, everyone happy and keep food on the table. So shout out to Stephen. Hope you feel better soon, buddy. But we are um, going across continents today. Um, we've got three continents that we that have represented. So, um, uh, so we've got Ankit. Uh, all the way from India. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Jermaine and Dan. I'm thank- really thankful that you guys have me over here. And Kevin, his book was one of the first things I remember when I ever searched on Amazon. Phantom uh-huh. Unmask came up right there. And so I'm looking forward to really learn a lot of stuff from you guys. Thank awesome. You so awesome. Well, we'll get to uh, talk to you a little bit later on. Uh, but Kevin, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Jermaine. How are you? Uh, very good. So this is the second podcast that you've been on. Um, you came back. <laughs> That's right. I'm a repeat offender now. That's it. I'm, it's official. And we were just saying before we were recording too, Kevin, the difference um, in the world and, and in the podcast. <laughs> um, because last time you were on, you were promoting your book, The Phantom Unmasked. We are talking to you about that. And um, at the time, it was a dodgy telephone line from across the other side of the world. It was pretty scratchy. It was, it was. It was. It felt like a 1980s dial-up modem um, <laughs> conference call. <laughs> and now look at us. We're here in the future. <laughs> That's <Amazing>. it. <laughs> okay. So as by the title, we've, uh, we've dubbed this the Phantom and Colour. Now, the reason why we have done this is because, let's be honest, every single day on social media, there's some well-meaning fan talking about the Phantom and how it needs to be in colour. Uh, in 2020, we had two fan Zoom catch-ups 
And let's be honest, uh, Ankit, you were in on both of those. Um, over a third of the time in both of those, it was discussed colour. So it kind of like, I'm listening to fans from around the world. I think we had uh, fans from like, you know, again, four continents. We had Europe, Asia, North America, South America, and Australia. Um, and we all talked about colour again. Um, so we thought, we better do something about it. Um, now, it must be said, uh, Colour TV uh, happened 50 plus years ago. So some people may wonder, why is the free comic still not in colour? And are Australians colourblind? Um, <laughs> <laughs> to help us get a better, wider perspective, we've brought in two fans who know a lot more about comics from around the world but also Australia than myself and Dan. Myself and Dan, we're Phantom fans. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Dan, did you read any other? <laughs> did you read any other co uh, comics apart from the Phantom when you grew up? Yeah, I I did. I um, and this was before I was ten, for the most part. Like um, your your um, Casper and Disney and um, Archie comics and that sort of thing. Um, as well as foot rot flats and that sort of stuff, mostly at my granddad's place. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I, but and then beyond that, since then, mostly uh, almost exclusively the fan. Mm. So, were you a Veronica or Betty fan? Uh, Betty. Yeah, I was Betty as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, now that's the important stuff out of the way. So, um, as you can tell, myself and Dan are not probably don't have the expertise to discuss. The fans well, we've, we've, got, we've got a limited experience, I guess. It's you know yeah. we don't, we've only had access for the most part to Fruz. I know you collect a lot of comics from around the world, Germ, but I certainly don't, and and I, the average fan in Australia wouldn't. Um, and I think that's given you a, a really good perspective. Um, but we both grew up on Fruz, and until you got to that stage, you're doing that. All we saw yes. was black and white. So um, you know that's our learned uh, expectation, I suppose. Yes. So the reason why we've got um, Kevin and Ankit uh, is purely so we can have a better perspective than just the two of us. So first of all, we're going to introduce Ankit. This is your chance to talk a little bit more about yourself, Ankit. Uh, we've, we've got two minutes each. So um, basically, Ankit, uh, for those who don't know, is our newest Chronicle Chamber contributor. Uh, and he reviews the Regal comics, uh, which we really appreciate, Ankit. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's greatly appreciated by the three of us and everyone at Chronicle Chamber. Absolutely. So please, Anchor, if you can, tell us in two minutes your age, your history of the Phantom, brief history of other comics, and then to end it off, should Fru publish in colour? Oh, yeah. Thank you, guys. It's a lot of two minutes. I'm uh, 32 years old. I'll turn 33 in March pretty soon. And uh, my history with the Phantom is like uh, actually one of probably the first comic character that I read, uh, which was not Indian, was the Phantom, and that was translated in Bengali in the strips in Anandavajar Putrika, which uh, even now actually publishes the Phantom. So, and it was black and white, and I distinctly remember probably the first story I read was the Phantom Cowboy. Because it was very uh, distinct in my head that you know there were cowboy scenes and you know and there was again yeah there was a kissing scene I think in it. So <laughs> as a kid that kind of stuck there because you don't back then in India you never saw people kiss on TV or anything. 
so yeah so phantom was like there and then uh, i am not actually from the indrajal era that is actually where my uh, probably my um, uncles were but i never so i grew up actually on the diamond comics these so in bengali and they were you can see they were all in color and so that was basically my introduction phantom and but and over time i used to pick up single and with comics in general i used to pick up single issues and uh, people's other people's stuff like i even read archie as you said like you know, my uh, older uh, cousin sisters and all they had a lot of archie stack archie stuff and casper but uh, it wasn't before i uh, actually got uh, the spawn i had got a single issue of the spawn i think it was issue 2 or something and this was in a book fair where there were random single stack issues that it just blew me away because even compared to the batman and all the other old stuff and it was pretty mixed because we used to get our comics almost quite 6 7 8 years after it had actually been published and spawn was what basically like blew me away like the it wasn't just the art it was just the presentation of something and ever since then i have become like more of a comic fan and, and now in the last 10 years i have actually become more of a collector after i started Awesome. And yeah, the most important thing, yeah, Flu must publish in color. They should because that's what I really look forward. And I am really impressed with the trade paperbacks, and I really want them to be in color, single issues, everything in color. Okay. And another important uh, question: uh, Team Betty or Team Veronica? Uh, I actually did like Betty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, thank you for telling us a little about yourself and um and that. Um, Kevin, over to you. So, Kevin, uh, <laughs> join us in episode eighty-three. Uh, sorry, Dan, did you have something to say? I was just saying. I'm going to say that we should probably ask Kevin straight off the bat, Betty or Veronica, mate. We're going to get that question out of the way. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to be the dissenter here. I'll say Veronica. I'm sorry. Um, she just had an edge. You know, Betty's very wholesome and very pure. Veronica's got an edge. Oh, no. <laughs> well, Fair argue. enough. Fair <laughs> enough. It's good to have a bit of variety. Um, <laughs> so introducing Kevin, uh, like I said before, he joined us in episode 83, who wrote the book. Uh, and what this is one of the reasons why I thought you would be great, uh, Kevin, is because in the book you touched upon the history of India, Sweden and Australia um, which and the book was titled "The Phantom Unmask." So, um, your turn. Uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself in two minutes. If you don't want sure. to tell us your exact age, you can give us an age range, and uh, then we <laughs> could kind of go from there. That's all right. Yes, I'm 16 years old. No, obviously, <laughs> no, um, because it's in video. Um, there's no denying I'm 52 years old. Uh, I first began reading Phantom comics. Back in the late 1970s, I think my first issue was number 631, which would have been the Diamond Hunters. I remember the story vividly. And that's a classic uh, Ray Moore black and white story from the, the mid to late 1930s. So I think for me, um, the Phantom has always been a black and white um, comic strip hero. Um, I read the Phantom for many years and sort of, you know, left the phantom you know and came back he, he was probably one of the few 
comic book series that even if I left for a period of time, I'd always come back to. I'd always check out what was going on every few years to see what was happening with the Fruit edition, especially when Jim Shepard took over um, in the late 80s onwards when you saw a lot of you know new activity happening there. Um, I did also grow up reading uh, black and white Australian reprints of American comics, uh, particularly the DC comic reprints that were published under the Planet Comics imprint here in Australia in the 1970s. Um, so, again, very much a black and white medium um, for uh, Australian kids of my generation growing up in the 70s there. Um, but also used to read uh, imported British comics like Battle Picture Weekly and 2000 AD. Um, again, my preference really was for the dramatic adventure serial comic. I never was drawn to the humorous sort of cartoon humor comics of your Archies or your Casper or, or whatever. Um, and in answer to the, the pressing question, should Fruit Publishing colour? I would say as necessary. I, I'm not a full convert on them publishing colour all the time. I am very much a product of my generation. So for me, the Phantom and by extension, the through editions of the Phantom in Australia should always in my heart remain black and white. But I can understand the need um, to publish in colour and some of the work they've, they've released lately, like the colour special editions they've produced have been really impressive. So I think if there's a demand for it and if it can help bring new readers into the Phantom Fold, then yes, absolutely they should publish in colour, but not too often. Mm. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I um, appreciate that, Kevin. And um, guys, uh, I hope the listeners uh, learn a bit about you and stuff like that. So, Dan. We're going to start this off, and then we're going to uh, go to the experts. Um, so, Dan, where do you yourself stand regarding the Phantom and Colour? And on top of that, through and Colour? Oh, I think Kevin and I are going to probably agree on quite a lot of stuff tonight, and I think he's just uh, outlined my point of view far more eloquently than I could. Um, I, I was nodding along with everything you said there, Kevin, um, about, yeah, uh, traditionally I do enjoy, um, my, my crew in black and white. Um, it's what I've grown up on and, but, uh, by the same token, uh, there is a growing expectation that people get color as well. And sometimes, and I enjoy a good color story. I don't mind the American comics or anything like that. So it's not like I've got anything against color. Um, but um, I also have no problem at all with black and white. And I guess that might be a bit of a, a difference for some people who um, who just can't, uh, who must, who, who really want the colour because it's um, what they're used to. No worries. So you've, so you've grown up on black and white comics and then in the last five years you've seen some free comics in colour. What are your opinion of the of the of the fruit co uh, comics in color? Do you uh, are you liking those stories? Does it add a new element? Um, is the color I'm a, I'm not a... good enough? Or like, just tell us a bit about that. Well, for me, the way I read a comic book is mostly for the story. I, there are people who um, we can flick through the artwork and not read a word of the dialogue and really enjoy that as a as a book. And there's um, I'm, I'm far more of a dialogue reader and a, and a story follower. 
um, in that sense. Um, and so to me, if the colour will help with the mood, I guess, of the story, if, you, if, the, if the artist has used that to help with the mood, and it's not just colour for the colour's sake, um, but it's the, the colourist, I guess, has got to work the hardest in a way to um, contribute to the story um, rather than just make uh, contribute to the art, if you know what I mean. And for me, it's about the story. So, um, so I, I could take it or leave it. Um, yeah, is basically where I'm at. I, I like the I like what we're doing at the moment in terms of publishing some colour from time to time. But I don't think um, I think they're getting the balance pretty much right. I know we were light on last year, which um, there was only one through edition using any colour in 2020. Um, but we've already seen one in 2021. So <laughs> I, I think that um, yeah, I think they're getting the balance a little about right. Maybe. Four, six colour issues per year might might be about right for me, I think. No worries. Uh, Kevin Anker, anything you just want to add or um, uh, comment what Dan just said? Um, in terms of what I've seen of the colour that's coming out of free publications in Australia, um, probably the first one I saw was when they uh, – reissued the Ray Moore story, The Sky Band, in a colourised format um, with the Billy Zane Phantom cover. And I thought that was actually really well done. I thought the colour palette that they used was very muted and I thought it complemented the artwork um, tremendously well because Ray Moore's early work on The Phantom in, in the 1930s is very much a product of black and white comic strip illustration of that era. Uh, it's very shadowy. There's lots of dark tones. Um, and I thought the colouring that they used in that example was really well done. I, I thought it, it, it added an extra dimension. It The colours weren't too vibrant. Um, they weren't too loud. They were almost muted. And I think that sort of palette worked really well. Mm -hmm. The few other examples i've seen of um the color through editions and it's mainly been online i don't have access to them here in, in america um have struck me as being really good um i think the recent um through annual edition is a collection of the newspaper strips um a collection of four american daily newspaper strips printed in colour. I think that's a really, um, you know, a, a, an excellent idea. I think that's a really exciting development. I think the fact that in recent years um, over in Australia, a lot of the uh, News Limited newspapers around the country have been running the Daily Phantom Strip in colour means that you have a whole generation of Australian readers who've grown up reading the Phantom comic strip in colour as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the colouring on the contemporary American strip is very good. I think it's very thoughtful colouring. I think it's very moody and atmospheric as the story requires it. Um, it's not garish like you, if you ever see, um, you know, the comic strip supplement from an American Sunday newspaper, it's usually just this explosion of colour. But the Phantom, I think, is comparatively restrained and especially you know when a lot of the action takes place at night mm. or at dusk um i think the artist is is really using color very intelligently in a way that really complements the story yeah mm -hmm. and, and i think yeah that's that's so important for me that the that the colorist has actually read the story <coughs> and, um you know knows the character and, and understands you know that palette that um 
that suits. Yeah. Mm. It's not always perfect because uh, Lee Fork was coloured as a um, as a darker person than mm. what he was. Um, mm. But by the by the most of all, uh, it is um, uh, it is good for me. One of the issues that I have is that if it has to be in colour, the colour has the quality has to be good. Um, like the I think it was the second or maybe the third fruit issue that they ever did in colour was um, it was the Moonstone story by Lou Manor. And the colours, and I remember we talked about this in the um, in our comic uh, news mm. review, um, the colours were very dark and muddy in a sense. And like I, and maybe it's the paper and we can talk about how colour needs to be on better paper and all that. But you know, the, the, if, if, it's just, if it just looks like... You know, you're wearing, you're reading the, the the comic, and you got sunglasses on. It it I think it actually takes away from the comic than mm. if you if you don't like. I look at um um I look at you know. So this is this is a a, a diamond comic here which I've got up. Um, so this is uh diamond comic number eighty seven, and it's a uh, little baldy, which is a Sunday story. So it originally was done for color. These colors. Like what Kevin was talking about before, they're very simple colours, but they they match well. And I think w with newspaper stories, and I'll be interested in hearing what you guys have to say, <sighs> that kind of brings me to something else is a, a lot of the older readers have, we've seen newspaper stories, we've got 10 issues of them, 20 issues, 30 issues of, of the same story. Is it time for Fru to maybe do like what they did with the Cyban and um, and actually publish those and print those in colour? And that will will that be something new that maybe Fru could do? So um, yeah, just be interested in if they are to reprint old newspaper stories, should they be in colour or especially maybe even the Sunday stories where they were in t originally intended in colour? So. Um, yeah, so I don't know there's a bit to digest there, but uh, any thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, uh, I would like to say one thing, like, uh, continuing with the food stuff, the only food color, uh, food color stuff that I have are the trade paperbacks. And uh, I was in introduced to them with the first one, but I think second one, there is a story which is a normal news because of the slave market of Muka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same book, yeah, that one. Now, if you check out uh, the thing that Kevin was talking about was how the art style, like how Raymond's art style was well complemented in doing the sky band. Similarly, if you look the color palette used by, uh, I think, Mr. Ivan Pedersen. Yes. It, it was also very muted because uh, the most important thing people, uh, a lot of people don't realize is it's not just the color. It's the main thing that, uh, that you need is the inking. It's the inking that sets the tone for what kind of color, which is why when you uh, talked about, you know, the full circle story, Lou Manna, the thing is, uh, when you see, uh, I, I don't know if I'm getting his name right, Lou Manna, right? Yep. Yeah, so his, his, his general style of inks is very strong. So on top of that, when you do not put the right kind of, uh, I won't say palette, more like the right kind of hues, is going to 
make things look a little bit like as if you've put like uh, yeah like uh, sunglasses on your eyes while reading them whereas when you see what uh, mr even has done with this story itself you will see that how uh, how well he's uh, incorporated the inks into his each it it's a very simple color if you look at it it's very simple it doesn't have too many hues it's not using uh, lighting gradients and all to you know it it is a product of its time it's like a very well recolor version of uh, the kind of stuff that uh, marvel and dc are putting out by their you know the old uh, silver age omnibuses and everything they are digitally recolored and to be very honest i am not a big fan of all the recolors but some of them whoever done done like recently there was a batman tales of the demon which came out which somehow kept neil adams's original inks intact while doing a very nice version of literally i would say a facelift of the original colors it's not the recolor but when you buy the same thing on a trade paperback uh, of the tales of the demon you will see that it's completely different colors are completely different so that is one of the things the the fear of using recoloring something is understanding the story and the base inks and the art that you have because not every artist his sketchy style or somebody is very strong with the lines colors are going to go completely different with it and more importantly back in the day when something was produced for black and white people kept that in their mind just like uh, if you see jeff weigel the way he did the art for duncan munro's story you can understand weigel the way he does colors for the uh, sunday's phantoms is not the way he's doing the same art for the yeah. actual story because he's already realized that fu is going to paint this put this in complete black and white so his gradient work his line work and his inking most importantly is completely different so that is why i think so but with the way even has done work here i think fu are very in very good hands because i think even also did the work for the skyband story did he isn't he the yes yes yeah. so and he's also a guy who really knows the phantom lord very well yes. he's kind of he's he's exactly the right guy for paints i think because he's also very traditionalist if you see he likes traditional stories he likes traditional folk he's not very modern that way but he's also a big advocate of color so i think for mm. a like him if he does colors for flu i think he will do a fantastic job if they reprint mm. every arvin arvin makes dan look like a postmodernist <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I agree with everything you said there too, Ankit. Because um, Ivan, um, because he is that traditionalist, um, he he knows that palette intimately. Um, and I agree, he's the right person for those um, traditional stories. Um, it, by the yeah. same token, though, you wouldn't probably have him um, coloring a modern story. He wouldn't touch it anyway, so <laughs> that would be fine. Well, he did. In saying that, he did do. um the story of the princess sin story and uh the princess sin trade paperback which is about to come out and also the um then you do the colors in uh the triads part 6 as well i believe oh, so yeah but in yeah. saying that he he's he he i think i think we will all agree that his his color palette choice um for the daily stories is is absolutely amazing like he also did um for those who are on youtube you'll be able to see this for those on the audio uh i'm looking at the second trade paperback which is the man who cannot die uh that's the one that had the original newspaper stories and then the sequels 
So he also did the colours for um, the movie stars as well, mm. uh, which was a daily story. And it's the same type of thing. It's If anything, the colours are probably even more flatter and muted than the, um, the slave market of the muka, which has mm. probably got something to do with the fact that it's a, another 10, 15 years older. Mm. Um, so, so I, I think we've all kind of... We've all so we've talked about newspaper stories, and we've all I think we've all agreed that if we are to republish the newspaper stories in color, it needs to be the right color palette for that. Well, it's it it makes the like Kevin's right. They were initially produced in color, certainly the Sundays. So um, there there are clearly color scans out there. One of the things in terms of must through publish in color in cover, you know, you can't tell. Uh, there's obviously a business model under, underpinning all of this as well. And um, colour costs money. Um, these, the, at least these Sundays are already coloured. You don't necessarily need to to do a, a, to pay a colourist. Maybe a touch-up or a, a facelift, or like what Ankit was saying, sounds good. But um, you might be able to keep the costs down. And this is where I suppose um, we we should have had an artist or a, cover, a colourist on on to help us with this. But how long? What do you charge to to colour a comic? Um, what do you, what would you be prepared to pay someone to sit there and colour? a 32 page story, a 22 page story um, that's factored into the business costs. Then there's the extra cost of printing and all the rest of it. Um, the, 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 the color, um, the Jason Paulus story, the most recent one from um, 2021 issue one um, from this year um, was $5.50 cover price and uh, the regular fruits are $3.75. Um, so it's the same page count, but there's the extra cost. People are going to pay that. Are people going to be happy with the extra price? That's a factor that we've got to consider as well. Okay, so um, so it's about a two dollar difference, uh, or a dollar seventy five, or whatever. So we'll say two dollars because that's mm. easier for us maths challenged people. Um, like, would did you see it as a problem, Dan, in paying an extra two dollars? For that story to be in in color, well, I'm a subscriber, so I didn't notice the cost. Um, yeah, but uh, and I actually had to go back and look it up because it's not certainly something that I was surprised at when I got to the news agent. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, no, is answer your question. Um, I if the through um, renewing my subscription suddenly went up by 150 or 200 dollars um, or whatever the the comparable would be, um, yeah, I'd certainly notice that, and I'd have to. I'd have to consider subscribing for the, the, that extra cost. So, Yeah. And I guess um, a lot of, and we've discussed this on the podcast before, a lot of fandom fans, but if you were to look at, sorry, not fandom fans, if you were to look at free readers, and I'm not sure, Kevin, if you actually have pure numbers or something that you can actually help make my point or refute it, but sure. I would say that majority of free readers are of your generation, Kevin. Um, um, look, I think certainly when Jim Shepard took over as publisher and managing director of Fru in the late 80s and early 90s, one of the things he did at that time was to do a reader survey because I think the previous owners of Fru, the founding owners, had a certain conception in their mind that their readers were basically, you know, um, prepubescent to middle adolescent, you know, 12 to 15-year-olds. Um, and he actually discovered that the readership was much older 
it was like, you know, 30 and 40 years upwards um, were the regular readers. Um, and that was where the real growth was. Um, so it's very much in a sort of nostalgic fixture for a lot of um, for readers, Australian readers at that time. Um, but there was growth in the sort of readers in the 20-year-old, in the 20s age bracket as well. I don't know if that's changed or if that's remained constant um, over time. I don't know since, um, <clears throat> pardon me, since Glenn Ford and Renee White took over the company in 2016. I don't know if you've seen a change in the demographic. I, I certainly have no insight on that. But I think that's the beauty of the full edition of The Phantom. And I don't know, Ankit, if, if you sense this is also true of The Phantom in India as well, that it's probably one of the few comics that I speak think speaks to a cross-generational audience. You, because it's been around so long, it will speak to older readers who remember it from their childhood some decades past, um, and it will also speak to newer, younger readers, you know, such as yourself, um, who have a very different experience of reading The Phantom. Like, your first exposure to The Phantom is going to be very different to, say, you know, what your aunts and uncles' um, exposure was to The Phantom. You know, this, what you said, I think, was really good when you called them the Indrajal generation, whereas you're the Diamond Comics generation as well. And I think that's, that same experience applies in Australia and in Sweden. And that's, I think, one of the really unique aspects of the Phantom is that it has managed to retain such a, a loyal readership, which literally spans generations. I, I don't think there are very many um, comic book characters being published in the world today for so long that can make that same claim. Mm. So in in following up that, do you think that's, while, while I see it as a blessing, do you also think it could be a curse in the sense that through have to cater for such a large, wide market where, for instance, your generation, no offense, mm -hmm. Kevin, yeah. grew up on the black and white and liked the black and white, where if you're, and this is purely stereotype, so I'm sorry if you fall mm -hmm. outside, anyone of our listeners fall outside of the stereotypes, but if, if you're, say, a, a 10 to a, a 30-year-old, you you'll probably prefer color, and then if you're in in between, you'll probably could kind of live with either as long as it's a good story and and stuff like that. So is that is that a bit of a problem for Fru in the sense that they have to cater for all of those? I think it's been a, a perennial challenge for Fru um, because they've been conscious of the fact they have such uh, a diverse multi generational audience, but. It, it, I remember it's what Jim Shepard said to me once in an interview. He said, you know, it's we have, he, he said, Fru has such a, a, an eclectic menu of stories mm. to offer its readers, and it seems to please the vast majority of readers. And I think that's the beauty of it because it can, because the strip dates back to 1936, it has such a rich archive of material. Fru has such a rich archive of material they can draw on, not just from America, but also from Sweden um, and and Italy, 
as well. Um, and plus, even now, you know, we have a small growing body of Australian-drawn stories as well, too. Um, so I think, and also the fact that it's published on such a frequent basis, every two weeks, mm. I think um, gives them a chance. They probably have a better chance of being all things to all readers and being able to cater to all those diverse reader tastes over the course of a publishing year than, say, um, you know, uh, Marvel or DC who tend to release, you know, four or six-part miniseries in full colour and that's it. Mm. Um, I think I think the Fru's publishing model um, lends itself to that diversity of output because it has such a diverse readership. And I, I think they're probably better placed... Um, than most other publishers to cater to that, you know, such a divergent audience. You'd be pleased to know, Kevin, that the data backs you up because we've just done a best of 2020 survey um, through the website and um, there was something like 80 separate stories published across all of the, the FRU issues and there was only four from memory that didn't get any votes um, in people's top five stories for the year. So. Right. So they're hitting a lot of marks. You know, someone or a few people out there um, are enjoying every single story. So um, they're, they're diversifying really well, I think, in that regard. Yeah, and, uh, I, I, likewise I think... With the covers. Hmm. Yeah, I think... I think no, lately... I likewise with the covers and the issues. They were... <laughs> Sorry, the votes were spread. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 I think you're absolutely right. I think... Um... They are hitting the mark. Um, when I was I was recently in Australia for a period of a few months in the second half of last year, and I actually got a chance to reacquaint myself with the Fru edition of the Phantom, um, and just seeing you know the changing co cover design and cover artwork, um, and just seeing the types of story they were publishing. I think you know they've taken what the kind of model that um, Jim Shepard was establishing in the eighties. They've really amplified that. Um, to such a way that I, I, I hope that this is reflected in the sales of the comic, that they are hitting all those marks, that the majority of the stories are appealing to a vast majority of readers. Yeah. Um, Anchor, anything you want to add, buddy? Uh, the thing I realise is with Fru is it's still predominantly an Australian market. Fru is not really catering to the international customers as such. Right now, with the pandemic and all, uh, I realized last year, the comic book market hasn't actually closed down, but it actually opened up much more. Because people are sitting at home. You should see the sales of collected editions and everything. That It's, it's crazy. This, it wasn't like this. So, in a way, right now, who has, and because of also Regal Publishing right now, the suddenly there are there is a huge Indian audience uh, aware of what flu is now. Now there is a huge issue. Like I'll tell you, I am uh, part of like some comic WhatsApps which are like you know which we basically buy and trade and stuff from each other. So Regal had recently made the announcement that they are going to bring some flu issue and they had like some it, it basically flow got shared into the group by someone. And most of the guys over there were like, what? So expensive? Black and white? Like, that was their first reaction. Initially, they were very thrilled. Like, they, they had no idea about, you know, 
suits. So like they're seeing new covers, new stories, new phantom. Like it's, it's like completely a new world for them. But when they see the prices, they're like, okay. And then when they see the price and then black and white associated with it, they just can't make sense of it. Mm. Because uh, they are, and even uh, like we in India, I'll tell you more importantly, uh, like after I said, after Spawn, I changed. But there was a period in the early 2000s when, uh, not early, I'd say mid 2000s, when there was a, a company from India, they called themselves Gotham Comics. They got the license to print uh, a, almost like any dark horse and they were printing Batman, Superman, all of them. First, like in larger than for business model, they made it smaller. And those were like the actual like foreign comics uh, issues that was became widely available to the public. And that is probably what my generation and the slightly next few generations of mine got acquainted with. And the sad part is the Phantom got complete at that period of time was going through like a publishing like in zero. There was nothing happening with, on the Phantom front. It was much later again when uh, Eurokids and Egmont India tried to bring it out, but the damage I would say was done because we were the Phantom was still like twenty years behind to what was being put out. Even with Gotham doing, and and Gotham was really cheap. It was like twenty rupees, which is hmm. less than I think fifty cents for you guys something. Hmm. So it, it wow. was like it it was like cheap. It was color. It was all the things that people had heard about and Wikipedia wasn't available, nothing was available. So these things, you know, so people were actually looking forward to know and get to know and Phantom at that point of time was still relegated to the newspaper strip and because Diamond was not publishing anything. And when you were, uh, and also if you see the Phantom and stories modernized themselves with time. Whereas in India, we kept on publishing the daily and the Sundays, the daily and the Sundays from Cyberi era that so it was a very, or even Olison and Williams probably, but it was very limited. So after a point of time, if you keep reprinting the same stories, people are going to get tired. They already know what's up. Mm-hmm. And so that way, what happened was that market got very insulated. So we were used to color comics. We were used to uh, cheap comics, more importantly. Mm-hmm. So when Flu is now trying to open up to the world and people are interested, it's the expensive price, but black and white. People mm-hmm. also certain idea of value addition. When you think my comic is in color, they think, okay, it's worth the price. So when you're paying that kind of money and then you think it's black and white, it's, it's lazy to them. It's a wrong idea. Hmm. These guys won't hesitate to buy the, say, the Batman black and white uh, trade paperbacks. Because to them, that is a different value addition because that was meant to be black and white and it has such a huge cast of super Super, super creators who are like mm. big names in the industry. So, all in all, Fru's uh, black and white is very good for Australia. I have realized that because of looking at the demography and everything of what it caters to. But for the international market, Fru is uh, and Fru does should look at the international market now at the world. It is not really very lucrative for the international market. Is only for people who are very hardcore into the Phantom and want to keep this and also want to read in English because there is a lot of draw for Team Phantom in stories, but because it's Swedish, even though it is color, it's full don't won't be able to read it. So Fruz it has that market where they can do the all color Team Phantom uh, translations, and that is actually a market they should look forward. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I, oh, sorry, you go, Dan. 
I was just going to say, you make a really good point there, Ankit, about the exchange rate as much as anything. Like, um, I think when Australians or anyone looks to buy Indian comic uh, or Indian comics or anything from India, it's the the postage price is the the killer, but the actual purchase price, you know, is unbelievably cheap to us. So, uh, I guess the production costs of um, what um, what colour comics can be produced in India uh, for much cheaper than what the black and white comic is being produced for in Australia. Um, if we were going to get colour comics from through, we on a regular basis, we're probably looking at doubling the price realistically because you've alluded to it, Germ, the paper quality. If they were going to be doing um, um, colour all the time, they'd want to be printing on uh, paper that is up to the task. So I don't think it would be long before we'd see ourselves paying, you know, that 7 to $8 mark for, for the fortnightly comic. And I think that's starting to get beyond the fortnightly purchase ability. How much are you buying the regal comics from the few websites again? Oh, there's a there's a good uh, markup on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the free website. Yeah, uh, about twenty dollars each, I think. Yeah, about fifteen twenty bucks. Google could sell those direct to you at that price. They won't be even worried right now about you know if they can keep publishing the Phantom because right now with the pandemic and everything. And our Indian market works a little different. Like we don't have LCSs and all. We get everything from our local newspaper shop and everything. And and also most people like they walk through and browse and see and they pick something up. And right now, no stand, nothing is uh, keeping legal, and it's just like a little dismal for people. Mm-hmm. Ankit, I think you've you've touched on a really interesting point here because you, you're talking when we compare the sort of publishing market for Phantom Comics in Australia and India. We're talking about a huge difference in economies of scale here. Um, being able to publish a full color comic in India is a much more probably economically viable model, just simply given the potential size of the Indian um, readership audience, which dwarfs anything Australia can ever hope to match. Um, Even at its peak in the early 1950s, I think the Phantom here in Australia was selling perhaps maybe 90 to 100,000 copies at the time, and that was a monthly black and white comic. Um, And, you know, when you look at the size and diversity of the Indian market, you know, where you had publishers like Indrajal, and Diamond, who not only were printing in, in full colour, but they were also able to print in multilingual editions, you know, in Hindi and Bengali and Tamil um, as well. And also I, I noticed, you know, when I was doing research on my book, you know, some publishers who were targeting specific language groups, like say Tamil, the prices were kept deliberately low, perhaps, you know, in recognition of the sort of demographic they're going for. So, you know, they might not be in black and white, but they might have one or two spot colouring throughout. Um, and I think the the Indian audience for comic books um, allows, and, and the size of the market allows companies like Gotham Comics, which you mentioned, which you grew up reading, and that's your first exposure to that then current generation of American comics. Um you know, you're, you, you've been able to sort of enjoy the benefits of that because, you know, India is such a potentially lucrative readership market. I think 
what, and I don't know if FRU has the capacity to do this, it depends on what contractual arrangements they have with King Feature Syndicate in America, who own the copyright and trademark to the Phantom, but if they could actually syndicate, say, the Australian drawn, the Australian created stories to Regal Publishing, and Regal could, you know, produce colorized editions of those stories for the Indian market, I think that would be a really economically viable alternative. You um, and, and your friends would be able to enjoy the stories in color and also in a much more cost-effective way than having to, you know, shell out a huge price for the original Australian printed editions. I don't know if through can do that. I don't know if Regal Publishing in India will be interested in doing that. But for me, um, that would be one way of surmounting that cost barrier, which, as you point out, is significant. Mm. Yeah, I had actually had this idea in my head that if what if who could do their uh, fortnightly black and whites as much as they want, but whenever they did color and had a special collaboration when they were doing trade paperbacks or something, they could, you know, share the actual print files with Regal or something and have the have Regal actually print the whole thing in India because I think the cost would turn out to be the same. You think about it, you you are actually being a huge upcharge compared to mm. other comics because it's just two hundred rupees for us. But the yeah. paper over there is as good, maybe better than your trade paperbacks. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting strategy, Ankit. You know, you could get through if they wanted to contract with an Indian printer. And I guess yeah. this would probably be easier in a, in a, in a COVID-free world. I don't know how, how uh, practical it is right now, but if they were to contract, say, the, um, you know, a, a colour end-of-year special to be printed in India um, and the Indian printer could, you know, almost literally you know, produce an Indian market edition, which has a different cover perhaps, or they, you know, they could do it, they could sort of splice and dice it and repackage it in a different way for the domestic Indian market, plus also provide the colour edition for the Australian market. Again, logistically, I don't know if that's practical. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think I think depending on what FRU is allowed to do legally, um, I think there is an opportunity for them to syndicate the Australian-drawn stories to, say, India, to Sweden, you know, via Egmont, um, and to have them syndicated throughout the sort of Scandinavian market as well. I'd love to see that. I say that, you know, just in the same way that Australian readers of the FRU edition are being exposed to all these different um, varieties of phantom stories, you know, published over many decades from many countries, I think it would be really great for FRU to showcase some of their Australian-drawn stories to the international market as well. And the, and the, the, the model that you're suggesting here, um, I think on paper, just talking about it, sounds really good. It sounds really practical, and I'd love to see it. I just don't know if it's legally possible for FRU well, to do that. We really need Glenn Ford here to answer all these <laughs> questions for us. There has been two stories that have, um, so two stories that have FRU created stories, uh, one by Duncan Munro, which was the uh, Hero Complex story, and uh, Jungle Love, which is in this story as well by Shane Foley and Pity Anderson. Uh, yeah. Just trying to find it in here. So this story here for those who are on YouTube. Um, 
So those two stories have actually appeared in a Phantom Men comic and a Phantom Men comic. So oh, great. The, the precedence is there. The, I guess the beauty about that concept is there's no costs of sending a big pile of comics which can get mm. damaged, lost, uh, dog-eared to India. It's literally a we transfer um, zip file, which is, you know, can be done and and to be honest um you know the way i say it is if through send phantom men or team phantom men five stories they then send five stories back which then means their readers get an extra five stories and then through and then team phantom men don't have to publish an extra five or don't have to pay for an extra five stories they only mm. gotta, you know the, the mm. costs are lower because it's cheaper to publish a story that's already published than it is to get a writer and, a, and an artist to, to do it. So, yeah. um, uh, Anka, uh, one question I do want to ask you is we know, well, it's obvious in talking to you and in talking to a lot of other Indian fans, whether it's on social media or, or, or wherever, that colour is important to, to you Indians. In, could you... I understand why it's important, but I'm sure there's some listeners out there where they don't understand the importance to colour in your culture. So could you just explain a little bit about why colour is so important to the Indian culture? Uh, colour is important. I'll, in a cultural standpoint of view, if you notice, uh, best example is Bollywood. If you just look at Bollywood, it's always we are, we are attracted. It's, it's just like part of something. You, it's organically part of us. We like the loud, light things, you know. And uh, so that is like a, I may be an Indian stereotype thing, but uh, there is a little uh, like there, there, there is always something underlying to these nuances. Uh, and when it comes to comics, what happened is uh, black and white comics definitely existed, but when single monochrome comics started coming, like I grew up on one of them, it was, that was like a special page. Like uh, when there was a children's magazine that we used to read and it had uh, comics like Bantu the Great, which is a Bengali strip. So we know those first two pages would always be in color, but they weren't like really in color. There was an orange. There were different tints of orange in it. That's it. But that was like a special thing. So we always felt it and for indians or you uh, you notice another thing it's another stereotype i, I apologize you know, you'll have love to bargain like get more out of the money or something like that so the moment when you have a whole black and white magazine and then like two pages in color like you know, that 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 for nine bucks i'm still getting those two pages that was the that that is the kind of thing and over time with books and everything presentation has become very important and more importantly, if you look at it in terms of comic consumption, right now, trying to get any American comic, which is the predominant thing, thanks to the Marvel movies and everything, it is always an upcharge. And let me tell you, comic collecting or like reading all of this is a very, very privileged person's lifestyle. India is a very poor country in general. And this is like a really huge for a very small fraction of the population. I am part of that. You can afford to buy these things. You can afford to spend that kind of money every month to get these trade paper. 
contracts and everything that's what so you must also think of the general readers who just read consume they are not the people who also carefully put everything up in their shelves but to them that little bit of color puts that value addition even you know even if they are going to discard that magazine it's going to go off and be sold off as scrap someday but the fact that you're getting it at that price so price matters and with price color matters so if you're going to give them a black and white comic or something right now they'll be like okay my newspaper is only black and white and newspaper is cheap mm black and white is actually equated with cheap if you understand what i'm saying mm. that is that is actually a, a cultural thing i would say that it is always price to quality it is never objectively even if you give somebody black and white with glossy paper really well inked and everything it is still black and white mm. it's considered bland and that is uh, the biggest hurdle you know things will have in the indian market if you're trying to push it completely on black and white because small time like you know very uh, few that there are people who do buy fruit i know that for a fact and they are like like a minuscule amount even in the comics fraternity everybody whoever like nowadays who are hooked on to comics they will obviously buy color and those who are hooked on to collecting more than just reading they still have this because they are still in touch with what is more expensive what is more lucrative what is like a rare issue and all of that so to them that doesn't matter so those little demographies are like mini mini little uh, it's very small tiny specks in the big thing but in the big picture color for indians are always important because more than a cultural thing it is more of a value addition thing mm Yeah, it's, it's very much that question of getting value for money, and I think you're absolutely right there, Ankit. I think for um, Indian readers who've grown up reading the Phantom, ever since the Phantom was first published in, um, I think, Illustrated um, Weekly of India magazine, it was sort of like the big photographic, sort of like India's equivalent of Life and Time magazine. That was printed in colour. They were printing the Wilson McCoy stories in the 50s in colour. When Indrajal Comics is launched in 1964, it's in colour as well. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, Indian readers for generations have been accustomed to seeing, you know, domestically produced comic strips and, and comic books um, produced in colour. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think you, you touched on a really interesting point there when you talk about the perception of value um for indian readers you know they will value uh, even a black and white comic that has tints of color you know throughout they will value that more than say something purely printed in black and white you had a similar kind of schism in australia between say casual comic book readers who grew up reading black and white australian printed editions of superman Batman, etc., um, throughout the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, and the sort of, you know, what you refer to as the kind of small, core, almost minority audience of, you know, serious comic book collectors. Here in Australia, those serious comic book collectors would go to specialty comic shops and start buying the imported American comics, which were sold at a higher cover price, um, because the perception was they were better value because they were in colour, and also because they were the genuine article. They were the American comics printed in colour as they were originally intended, whereas they looked down on the cheaper um, black and white Australian edition. So I think that that perception of value 
tied to whether something is in black and white or in colour. Um, that was very much evident in Australian comics culture, um, particularly in the 70s and 80s, as more and more imported American comics are becoming available to Australian readers too. So, no, it's an excellent point. It is. So, Kevin, just following on what you just said then about mm. in the 70s and 80s with the coloured being perceived as a higher value, could that be the same as with the Fru comic now where um, where black and white can kind of be seen as a, a cheaper throwaway comic in a sense? So yeah. could, could the Fru comic be perceived as a higher value comic to the Australian market if it was in colour, whether it was every issue or every second or every third or whatever issue? I think so. I think, you know, the way Fru have been publishing colour editions of the Phantom, they very much framed it as a kind of special edition, like it's a special occasion. It's like, you know, the... Um, the colorized version of the Sky Band to tie in with Billy Zane's appearance at local comic conventions back in 2019. Or if it's the, you know, uh, end of year annual edition, um, like what they've just done for the 2021 annual edition um, with the reprints of the four American strips. I think the fact that they seem to be um, reserving colour editions for what they would call their sort of landmark or special editions which would sell at a higher retail price. I think that's that's possibly one way that they're trying to make the higher cost of a colour edition comic palatable by saying, look, it's special. You know, it's not just like the average fortnightly issue which is, you know, $3.75 and is in black and white. Look at this, it's you know, it's got square-bound binding, it's got glossy paper, it's in full colour. Um, so they're trying to perhaps make this more of an occasion, a publishing occasion. Um, and I think perhaps that is a way that through can continue to incorporate colour into their publishing schedule without perhaps alienating their sort of core rusted-on readership who, you know, perhaps have a preference for black and white, but also they don't want to price themselves beyond the reach of an average reader as well. Um, and I think at $3.75 an issue is you know, still a very affordable reading experience um, compared to other forms of you know, print media that you can choose from in Australia as well. So I think they have to be mindful of that. That's where part of um, this conversation, I guess, we, we were talking in the lead-up about, um, or Jemaine and I were certainly, about the fact that Fru have just um, produced two uh, colour editions consecutively. Um, and mm. one of them, yes, was the last issue of last year, which was, was a Christmas special um, with the three uh, newspaper stories presented in colour. The next one is, um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes because it's not as a special, it's just the fortnightly edition, if you want to say just. Um, that's issue 1883, The Poor People's Plague, which is the Jason Paulus one I was referring to earlier. Um, it will be interesting to see if a lot of people jump on that on the back of, you know, perhaps getting the Christmas special as a as that once a year gift or, you know, an uncle found it in his Christmas stocking or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then backs it up and then goes, oh, the fortnightlies are in colour too now and, you know, it re-engages with the comics. So, um, if this is something that, and, and I guess I, I mentioned before about the, car, the the artists themselves, we know that Jason Paulos would prefer to colour his work um, and probably does it 
Um, you know, I don't know how much more he would charge for for the color version as opposed to the black and white version. Um, again, you know, the, the money talks and, and he's obviously um, affordable, but I guess doing his own stuff too, too might help and keep the costs down. So I guess it depends a little bit on how the artist is present, prepared to present it to Fru and, and what it's going to cost him too. Yeah, yeah. It, it depends on how he's being commissioned. Like if he's being yeah. commissioned to explicitly produce a colour story, mm. um, you know, that cost would presumably be built into whatever page rate he's mm. being paid. So they're not paying additional labour costs to have, mm. you know, someone come in and colourise Jason Paulos's black and white line artwork. The yeah. fact that he is talented enough to do that. You know, he's, he's a double threat in that regard. Mm. Um, I think, you know, it makes it cost-effective to use an artist like Jason Paulos to do that. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. But I, I think it's, it, as you say, it's really interesting that they've got a regular fortnightly issue in colour coming hot on the heels mm. of the end-of-year Christmas special. Um what will the audience reaction be? I hope it's good. Um, you know, I think Jason Paulus's work really, he, he's one of those few artists who can do black and white really well because that's, you know, some of his earliest stuff from the 80s and 90s was printed in black and white. So he's got a good grasp of how black and white artwork works. But also, you know, he's sufficiently, um, you know, talented an artist to understand how to draw work that is intended for colour reproduction, mm. colour printing as well. Mm. well. That's some good points. So, um, Kevin, we've we've touched a little bit upon India and how India have always had colour with their comics. Um, I was wondering if you can spend a couple of minutes talking to us a bit about uh, Sweden because for those who don't know, uh, the Egmont comics... Um, in the up until the early 90s, I believe it was 92, yeah. 94, I believe it was, printed all of their stuff in black and white. And then they did the big switch and switch and switch to um, color. Now, um, myself and Dan were actually talking to a this week, actually, uh, we were talking to a, a creator uh, who grew up in that era and grew up with the switch. and. It's fair to say the, the original colours, um, I've got a story here. Um, so this was, this is uh, Phantom Met, actually, uh, 1992, number 18. And you can see, for those who are on YouTube, uh, for those on audio, you'll just have to um, listen to my words. But you can see that the, the, the colour is not that good. Like, uh, there's one instance here where the, you probably won't be able to see that on YouTube, but the, the blue of the cow, uh, is actually outside the line. It looks like my daughter has coloured it, to be fair. <laughs> um, so, you know, so there was that, you know, it's a lot better now. I think they've got a different uh, colourist um, who I think it's like a, a company organisation that colours it now. And I've got examples here where they've even coloured um, uh, old stories that were originally published in black and white and then they've recoloured it. And the quality is very very good um but in your research for the book did you mm. on did you talk to anyone about the the color swap and and Look, what reactions were or anything like that sorry i did come across a few um swedish readers who took part in my um online readers survey about the phantom and about 
particularly um, Phantom in, in Sweden. And there were probably readers, say, of my generation who grew up reading Phantom in, in black and white in the 70s and 80s, and they hated the transition to colour. Um, I think, you know, one of them said it was just a dreadful mistake, wished they'd never done it. But again, I think this is a, a generational thing. You know, you made reference to speaking to a Swedish creator who's grown up with the colour editions of Phantom in, in the 90s. That's what they're accustomed to. But I think um, for a certain generation of Swedish readers, that was a period of adjustment, not necessarily a welcome um, innovation. My understanding was that when um, Phantom Men reverted back to colour in the early 90s, a lot of that colouring was actually um, outsourced to Malaysia. It wasn't actually done in Sweden. So that might explain the um, disparities in quality. That was eventually, I think, brought back in-house um, to... Um, Egmont um, and to you know local um, uh, colorists, artists, whatever who is responsible for doing that. Um, but it's also important to remember that when um, Phantom Men first began publishing in Sweden in 1950 as as a monthly magazine, it was printed in full color, um, and it was only ceased being in color around about 1955. I don't know what the reason was behind that. It might have been a cost reason. And then reverted to colour from 1955, up, uh, reverted to black and white from 1955 up until the early 1990s. So in some respects, Swedish phantom and readers from the mid-50s to the early 90s were in the same position as Australian readers of the through Phantom edition. The Phantom Man was a black and white comic. And when, uh, you know, you have Swedish creators who are producing new Phantom Man stories exclusively for the Swedish and, by extension, Scandinavian market, um, they are produced uh, for black and white reproduction. You know, you've got artists like uh, Jamie Valve, you know, who's the sort of leading Phantom Man artist of that, era the 70s um he's very much schooled in that tradition of black and white cartoon art and i think for a lot of swedish fans having grown up with that when the transition is made to color and the transition is not as good as you would hope um you know that leads to disappointment but one i think one of the reasons why um, the Swedish publishers converted to colour was the Phantom was losing ground in terms of sales. Um, it was just a commercial necessity. Up until, I think, the early 1980s, um, television wasn't really a, a commercial threat to comic books in Sweden. There was, like, maybe two channels available to Swedish television viewers. Um, they were broadcasting black and white. Um, so it wasn't like Australia where you had colour TV broadcasting across, you know, three commercial networks and one state broadcast to the ABC. Um, so the, the media market in Sweden was very different. It was almost quite um, frugal. I remember one Swedish reader saying, you know, we read comics simply because you know, we didn't have a television for like, you know, the first 10 years of my life growing up in the 1970s, um, TV and, and video cassette recorders um, and, and the like weren't 
a part of daily life for many Swedish households up until the 1980s. That changes in the 1980s. And I remember Ulf Granberg telling me when I interviewed him for my book, he said it really changed in the 80s, especially with popular music. Um, popular music was the thing that started to drag young Swedish readers away from comics. Um, and he said that every year, um, as the 1980s began, sales started to drop every year. So I think the decision to go to colour was really driven by commercial necessity. They had to reverse declining sales, hence why they thought, okay, we've got to go to colour. I think the television market in Sweden had been expanded and deregulated, so there was no longer a state broadcaster monopoly there. So they had a lot more competition to deal with, and that's why they probably decided we've got to go back to colour to appeal to a new generation who's used to colour video entertainment. It's really interesting um, what you learn on the podcast. Like We, uh, we spoke to Timothy Boyle and learned that... Um, uh, Colonel Gaddafi's demise was responsible for us not getting a second Phantom movie. And tonight I've discovered that ABBA and Ace, and ba and Ace of Base have led to colour comics in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> oh, very good, Dan. Um, so I've got a, a comic here, what you were just talking about. This is uh, Phantom Men. Uh, number six to seven of 2018. I'm showing up a couple of panels for YouTube viewers. Um, this is a George Best uh, story that was originally created in black and white. And then this is the color. And to be to be honest, the color of this is really, really good. Like George mm -hmm. Best is an artist who his work, like Jamie Val, works brilliant in black and white. You know, he created yes. those stories for black and white. And he's, you know, probably. For most, for a lot of readers, he's like a, you know, a top 10. They're like top 10 artists and stuff like yeah. that. And so the way they've created these panels in colour has to be, um, um, uh, what do you call it, congratulated for, I guess, for the quality that they did there. Um, yeah. So, Kevin, so I know you, you probably know the Swedish market better than all of us with your study and all that. If there was a lesson that maybe in your time that you talked to Elf and, and, and such, a lesson that could maybe still be learnt in today. If Fru was to go colour or if Fru was to follow in their footsteps and stuff like that, what would that lesson be? Would it be a, you know, like, is there anything that kind of stands out that maybe, you know, that needs to be, you know, be careful so it doesn't get replicated or... What, something that they, they did well or something they didn't do well? or I think um, what Fru has done in the last few years, it's been a very, you know, sort of cautious dip-the-toe-in-the-water approach to using colour. They want to test the market and see, is there sufficient audience demand to warrant um, publishing in colour? Um, and that has to be reflected in the sales. The fact that they have... Um, continue to publish um, intermittently regular issues and special issues and even trade paperbacks I think is really interesting trade paperback editions in colour um, suggests that there is a demand for it um, that it is commercially viable for, uh, for them to do so and I think the fact that they've 
um, used, you know, material that has either already been, that was already produced for colour reproduction, like the um, the recent collection of the US uh, daily strips, which are always printed in colour now. Um, and I think also, yeah, um, I think that that's good. And I think like the example you showed of the George Best story that's being colourised for the Swedish market, I think the way that they did the colorized version of the Sky Band as well reflects that kind of intelligent, thoughtful approach to coloring. I think they've managed to avoid perhaps the initial mistake that Fantoman made in Sweden in the early 90s when the color was not of good quality. Um, and, I, and I don't know, perhaps it even compared poorly to you know, imported colour comics that were available to Swedish readers or whether there were, you know, Swedish language editions of, you know, DC and Marvel comics and, you know, Swedish readers compare the two and go, oh, the Swedish phantom in colour doesn't look nearly as good as these colour American comics. So I think the Fru has been fortunate they've avoided that initial misstep um, which I think, which I have to point out, you know, Sweden's Phantom End series, you know, quickly overcame. I think they realised that, you know, they didn't want to alienate their loyal readers, um, but they also need to attract new readers. And I think that was a lesson learned very quickly. And I think, you know, their their approach to colour, um, you know, has been really interesting. And also you can see that even in the trends towards using um, different style of cover art, moving away from the full painted covers of the Rolf Ghost, you know, covers from the 80s and 90s, um, when Mikhail Sol takes over as editor in, you know, the 2010s, we start to see covers which look much more like contemporary American superhero comics, like black and white line artwork, colorized digitally colored not full color painting um illustrations so i think they've been very cognizant of trends international trends in comic publishing and, and they've been doing their very best to sort of acknowledge where readers tastes are going yeah and i don't think that there'd be um like I look around the room that I'm in and most of my fandom stuff is behind me stacked in so it looks like I've got heaps. But um, <laughs> I don't have any black and white stuff hanging up on the wall unless it's original art sort of thing um, and I don't have much of that. So the vast majority of what surrounds me in my fandom room is colourful and I do enjoy mm. looking at the fandom images in colour, the covers, the posters, that sort of stuff. Um, I guess if we're just talking about in terms of stories, I, and I'd be very similar to most, to, to most people, I would think, in that regard. But... Um, perhaps a quantity for your average fan, but anyway, um, the, but in terms of the actual stories, um, yeah, I guess I, I, as I sort of said right at the start, I have a greater tolerance for, for reading them in colour and, uh, sorry, reading them in black and white and not needing to see them in colour. Yeah. All right. Well, um, any other anchor, any other comments from the, uh, that you, you want to just raise? Yeah, I was just going to say that, uh, we're talking about how the Phantom and quickly did that transition, but if you have you noticed one thing that uh, Phantom and or all these stories that we're talking about, uh, Phantom even now, even with the color palette and everything, even the art style, it is not really as modern as you think. It's very recently that it has stepped towards modern. If you look even about five or four, I would say even three years back, 
the art style of the phantom the way it was drawn was still almost like a silver age like every artist be it uh, mr jamie valve or anyone they were very silver age artists paul mason is one of the ones i would say who is really put a very unique spin and a newer uh, like a newer age style because if you look at it the art style the inking style the line work style still very uh, that uh, don newton uh, neil adams zack ila and of course sai valley it's almost like everybody whenever they want to put a street picture of the phantom they look at sai valley panel and then they try to recreate it that's not gone away and that is why i think uh, we haven't really seen it and because of that the coloring has also been as you say you know muted and the, you you're liking these colors because they're complementing the actual art style these colors will never work if you say commission someone like a jason fabok to do a phantom story because with brad anderson is like the only guy or even jim lee if jim lee does a phantom story this kind of color will never fit into that context because the whole inking style the whole illumination and the post color style that they put as well as the more importantly i would like to point out the paper quality uh, a lot of people miss out on the fact that the paper quality is paramount almost on when they think about what they're going to imprint the paper quality has always been very bad it is uh, whereas most of the stuff the trade paperbacks actually recently it went back to mat i think that's more because of the pandemic and the price issue but it has always been glossy and that is the way they have always painted considering that there will be a huge lift in the hues and the brightness level and contrast level so unless we actually start seeing modern art styles but like guys like jason and all are doing it if you see the way they are doing colors you can understand they are probably doing digital art itself on an ipad and putting that first layer into the color so we haven't yet seen modern coloring in phantom the closest we've come is how moonstone have produced those books mm. and it's still kind of it, it's very difficult i have realized to get out of cyberis uh, aura for most artists and the the closest i have seen is how sal valuto stuff has been colored on uh, or mises own death in the forbidden city because i really like sal's work for those who are seeing this uh, i really yeah. like because he is like the right balance at the because he's a veteran itself another artist i would like to point out is eduardo barreto i don't know if you remember the sundays that he yes, yes. if you look at, they were they were they were they were bringing that he was bringing in that uh, that modern style slowly it is very unfortunately passed away and uh, mm. th- those were like the slight highlights i was seeing where you know the colors were really coming to form and then again it went backwards and that's what has happened because again tom smith's colors on the sundays by paul ryan paul ryan again a veteran of the comics industry he was a little bit of cyberry is always going to be in there because how it catered to the market but he was doing it doing it in a very modern manner and Sunday especially because those are the ones which uh, are being reprinted by Regal. I think they are a pretty good example if you look at how the Sunday's colors just changed between uh, uh, Graham Nolan and uh, Paul Ryan. They were like it was like a tectonic shift if you look at it. The standard flat colors of the Phantom and everything were there, but when Tom Smith starts coloring the Sundays, you start seeing hues, you start seeing gradients, you start seeing line work. the colors irrespective of the line work there was no line tracing done to give a gradient like you know map for where the color is going to be 
so that was i would say the first thing and also if you notice how the hues were different between a night scene and a morning scene these are modern coloring aspects the phantom has never had it whether it is in the, the phantom one or even in the fruit stuff so mm. there is still a couple of i would say i won't say generations but still a couple of years left for actually phantom to come back in color with the modern era because the modern era of color is something which has completely gone in a different and color is now are practically credited as well as the artists now they they have the third credit pretty much because mm. color itself is a story telling if you look at it and you know this is the thing dc and marvel have been doing this from the uh, late 80s colorists became really important then, but the phantom never really did that we did not import color this is what you said when you said uh, the artist is doing the colors itself it is not just a thing about uh, money i think it's also a thing about seeing a vision sometimes an artist who does the artwork is not always the best judge of how his colors are going to be the best example i can give is killing joke by uh, uh, batman killing joke is a very good yeah. example i think the recolor and the color version originally uh, i keep forgetting i, I just can't remember but the killing joke's artist name the british artist brian bolland yes i brian, think yeah, brian bolland yeah brian bolland did the art and he's a phenomenal artist everyone knows that no doubt so when and the colors were done i think uh, who did the woodman colors uh Sorry, I, 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 sorry. <laughs> it's um while you're checking that i'll just quickly jump in it's a very uh good point about um about the colors like because i've seen tom smith's work and i've seen like he he was a very good colorist he was actually well known for his color coloring work as well so uh it's an interesting point you make um keep... yeah. so john higgins was the colorist and he did colors for watchmen Yes. Watchmen. Every panel that eight by eight, the way, if you've read the comic, you'll see that the colors distinctly shift with the mood of the story. Now, the interesting story is, I I'll give you the side by side comparison. When the book actually came out, Killing Joke, it's considered a classic and uh, absolutely one of the most must read like comic of all time. One of them. of all people brian bolland wasn't happy with the colors because he felt like you know his art was being obstructed by it but if you read the killing joke version of john higgin the best way to is to get the absolute version of killing joke because it gives both of them whereas in dc or when they reprinted the deluxe edition from now on that is the only edition that's available uh mr bolland had learned how to do coloring digitally and he had requested he wants to do the color and he recolored the whole thing it's great it's i won't say it's great it's just very strange it's just color it's like batman is colored how he is joker is colored how he is so there is no color hue shift with the mood the only good part i like is in the flashbacks he used a very muted black and white which i think could have been inputted in the uh, john higgins color whereas john higgins is if you read it it's a very disturbing story killing joke and it gets more and more disturbing there are panels when the freak outs are happening and he goes psychedelic completely and because the whole story is told about uh, about madness basically how one bad day can make him mad 
so in, in a there is a sequence with spoilers i'm sorry the, the jim gordon is being put in a carousel and made to go through all the horrors of seeing his daughter shot and the thing and so the, what the colorist does is he takes the art brian bolland which is very pure very well done very strong line work and he just puts colors on it like as it's like a tv distorting so mm. the art definitely gets distorted but for a reader when he's seeing it that unease that feel that he's getting he really understands what is happening uh, similarly in a phantom story i think uh, i read like that there was one story i think i not which is a brand book there was one where uh, this lady i can't remember it was a pretty scary looking story like uh, the lady was drawn like rubber uh, she was eating chicken i think it was some vampire story or a werewolf story it was a phantom and story i can't remember uh, the exact name I think I know the one you're talking about. It was um, uh, it was like a, a like a, a story about um, Red Riding Hood or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Red Riding Hood, uh, the origin of the Red Riding Hood kind of story, and if that story, especially because of the inking, the drama was there. It wasn't just the yeah. art. Like a lot of people say, I, I well, whose whose art was it? It was. Uh, it was Hans Lindell, I believe it was. Um, from memory, it was actually the story that um, uh, when we did the top 10 villain story uh, that Mikkel actually raised as one of the bad girl or the bad person mm-hmm. there was actually one of his favourites. I think it was the Wolf, the Wolf Man of Montar- Montargas, which was published in Phantom Man 11, 1992. Now, now that the drama that I'm talking about, that was established in phantom by inking cyberi does it brilliantly especially in like the, that what was the town i think bullets town or oh, bullets town yep yeah so you, you can see like the drama is being built up but if you look at the way the colors were handled by phantom and even through and everyone that that level of uh, storytelling by color still hasn't come in tom so, is there yeah Red so was there. Yeah. i just want to so what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're saying the difference between a good colorist and an average colorist is that you've it adds another layer of storytelling. You've got the story, the words, you've got the line art, but then with the color, it can actually add a third level, I guess, for lack of a better word, Absolutely. of storytelling to the story. And you're wondering whether at this stage the phantom is missing out on that so a lot of the color that we do get maybe doesn't have that third level of color um mm-hmm. is, is that kind of what you're saying anchor yeah i am saying that because what i'm yeah exactly that i'm saying that the, the third storyteller that the colorist is who will set the mood and the way everything goes is that that is what phantom is missing and it can be there because i as if you put uh, if you commission to a person who's uh colorist not just a artist like a, a penciler or an inker like even if you realize this like even in uh, in american comics there is a separate penciler there's a separate inker and there's a separate colorist whereas if you see most of the phantom stuff every the artist does the whole bulk of the job so i necessarily don't think that the the one who's doing the pencils is the best judge for how the story would further with his with the colors so that is what i'm saying the phantom is still missing out that third layer 
and that is why i was saying that we are still kind of 10 years behind the actual industry standard for comics in general mm. not uh, i'm if phantom has become very insular if you know what i'm trying to say so that is what in behind the comics we are still kind of behind as a phantom and if you need to reach the base of you know marvel and dc and those guys mm. we need to put a little bit more diversity in the artwork and production I think Anka you you've raised a really interesting point here how color the added dimension of color can really enhance um reader's perception of a story and I think you know when you look at the color palette used on Watchmen it's used in the colors are very vibrant and they're almost psychedelic and they they're quite flash but they use in such a way they really accentuate the sort of psychological drama the atmosphere and the suspense of the story And I think when you talk about adding that kind of missing dimension to the Phantom, um, because the Phantom is such a spectral, ghostly figure—I mean, that's what his name is—he's a ghost. He's the Phantom. He's the ghost who walks. There is perhaps um, there is perhaps a greater scope for that kind of more dramatic use of colour than perhaps what we've seen. And when you're talking about, you know. Current current day Phantom stories being kind of ten years behind the artistic curve of modern comics. I think what's really interesting is how through commissioned Paul Mason to do that kid Phantom story. I think that's a real breakaway effort by Frew to get someone, a younger artist, who's perhaps more attuned to that current style. It's almost cartoony. But that's quite deliberate because the story is pitched towards a younger audience. But I also think the way he used color in that series, I think, is much more in the spirit of what you think the Phantom should be. Uh, that that it adds that extra layer of drama, of suspense. Um, it it becomes a separate factor in the storytelling as well. And I think um, that was a really interesting experiment that Frew did. With the Paul Mason stories, um, you know, and props to them for trying to break out of that Cy Barry mold, um, and you know, come up with an artist and a storyline designed to appeal to younger readers to bring them into the fold. There, um, I think you know, that's something that we started to see under Mikael Sol's editorship of Phantom in, in Sweden over the last decade, because he's of That generation, you know, he he grew up, his experience of comics growing up in Sweden is very different to that of his predecessors, um, and I think he was far more willing to experiment with that. And the fact that he was bringing in more outside, external phantom stories like King's Watch, um, you know, from America um, into the Phantom in Swedish edition, um, I think is indicative of that. I think the fact that you know you've got an artist like Jason Paulos in Australia has a very distinctive style, um, quite unlike, say, the sort of classic Cy Barry or Cy Barry influenced style of, say, George's Best, who you know is certainly one of my favourite um, European um, Phantom and artists as well. I think his stuff is beautiful, but I think um, you know Jason Paulos is an example where Frew's Willing to experiment with an artist whose work kind of breaks out from that mold. There, it's not perhaps as overtly 
cartoony or Bigfoot cartoon style as Paul Mason, but it's very different to what I think a lot of Australian readers are accustomed to. I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, um, that local audiences in Australia are responsive to Jason Paulos's take on the character. I, I think he's an enormously talented artist. I think he does great work. And I've really enjoyed many of the stories. I haven't seen all the ones he's done, um, but what I've seen I've really enjoyed so far. So perhaps we're starting to see that kind of trend now, that Fru is willing to take those risks to do that kind of experiment, the sort of thing that you think the Phantom should be doing. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Just, just to speak, I guess, to Ankit's point about the the extra layer or the third storyteller that the colorist can be. I've, I've dug up some um, postcards that I got um, unofficial Phantom products, but um, a, a Canadian fan and, and color enthusiast, Guy Poisson, a friend of the podcast, um, he put together, and, and he is a traditionalist, but he loves recoloring old old postcards. So I'll just hold that one up for you to see as an example. Oh, yeah. uh, even on the old Wilson McCoy image, he's got, um, this is a, Mr. Walker and Devil and, and the way that he's coloured fog through the picture. Um, there's another one here of Bill Legante's, um, The Phantom in the Skull Cave. And again, the colour of the fire is quite vibrant. And even Ray Moore, um, a, quite an old, obviously, and classic. Oh, picture, wow. But beautiful sunset behind the Phantom standing up on the skull there. And that really yeah. the mood of that particular scene. So I guess if we were to see um, that sort of level of colour, for an entire book, I mean, that would just be mind-blowing, wouldn't it? That, that, that's really great. I, I love that Ray Moore image that you're showing there. It reminds me almost of those weird lenticular cards that had that kind of 3D effect, like you used to get in packets of wheat fix, like the dinosaur cards, you know, the sort of 3D effect there. You re they, he's really captured that in that Ray Moore thing. And that's something I wouldn't have thought would work well with a Ray Moore story being... No originally conceived for black and white newspaper well, production. Here's another one that he's done, which is, again, a oh, classic wow. scene. Sala being left in the desert and watching the, the camels go yeah. away. What the colourist has added is the night sky and yeah. the stars. And, the, that's, and it adds to the sense of loneliness in it that does. particular picture. So wow. a, a good colourist, a really high-quality colourist, can make a big difference. Yeah, that's astonishing. I, I would not have thought that kind of sophisticated colour palette would work on what, you know, I would call a very basic, straightforward, illustrative style like Ray Moore's was. Um, but that 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 really pops. That's just mm. astonishing to look at. Yeah. Hell, I'd um, pay $20 for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, um, I'll give you guys details, mate. Yeah. Hopefully I'll have some spares for you. <laughs> just Fantastic. wanted to, while we're talking about colour and a style and then also talking about Mikel's soul, um, there was a story that was created um, called Blood Rain. Now, this has been published in Fruit as well as Phantom Man. So it was published in Phantom Man in issue 24, 2018. I am just going to share my screen and just kind of give you a bit of a look at that. So just bear with me while I do that. Um, if you're audio only... Um, we're just going to flick through oh. this story. So oh, wow. can you guys see this? So yeah. This is kind of like adding where you are talking about. So this is a story. So it's actually what I might do is I might kind of go to that. Um, so it's it's very, 
it's very normal in the sense that, you know, this is uh, Sal Valuto. It's very normal style. But then what happens is you're having uh, blood rain, which is red, red rain in a sense. And so what they've actually done is... Oh, hang on. Sorry, it's not really working. Let me let me try this again. So they've actually here we go. So in some parts of the story, when the red rain comes down, the color is of the comic is is red. Yes. Um, so I think that's a a phantom example of where the colorist has um, probably added to the. Um, to the, to the story. And then when this was published in the free comic and I, Dan, we talked about this when we reviewed it. I don't think, I don't think the black and white version of this did it justice when you're looking at this, because you, you couldn't tell that, you know, you knew that the rain was red, but it didn't have that impact. Mm. No, you're right. And for a story like that, which hinged on the color of the rain, you know, it's in the title. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it certainly was much more effective in colour as you're showing us here. Um, yeah. But again, yeah, it speaks to, so like, go, does yeah. colour actually add to the story? And yeah. I think in this case it does. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, look at that panel. That's, that's great. Um, the the colour becomes a character mm. in the story. It really does. Um, and, and it's really accentuated when it flicks back to the present day, which is in the full colour, the sort of normal colour scheme, and then I presume the red rain sequence is told as a flashback, you know, and it's just drenched in this in this you know blood red palette. I mean, that's really yeah. striking. Um, so yeah, I think definitely that's something. That's a story that deserved really to be reprinted in um, colour in English translation rather than black and white. Yeah, it's it's like it's like watching a, a sound movie but you've just turned the audio off. It's like you, you're missing an integral part of the story there. So yeah, I think that's a really good example, I think, of what Ankit is talking about here, where colour becomes an integral part of the story. It's not just colour for the sake of decoration, but you know, it's something that really um guides the reader's perception of the story and, and influences their reactions to the story as well. I think maybe, and one thing Free would be conscious of, it's a, it's a book that you mentioned earlier, Jermaine, um, one of the new Free Crew's first forays into, for, uh, into colour was Full Circle by Lou Manor and it was across two issues. I don't have a copy with me. I, I'm sorry, I don't. But you're absolutely right with that book. Um, germ, the colour was so saturated it almost became muddy and it was um, whether the paper quality it, it was absolutely to do with the paper quality that Fru were printing on um, but it was the colour was so thick and dark and similar to what some of those pages of Blood Rain could come out like um, on poor yeah. quality paper too like we've just enjoyed it in a, in a clear PDF um, but you've got to imagine the, the newsprint type paper that sometimes through prints on and how the colors just bleed through. So mm. there is a, again, there's a, there's an extra cost in that regard to being able to, to, to do the, the colorists work justice. But yeah. in, in saying that, would you say that the Christmas issues of those stories are muddy? Cause yeah, it's the same bit. paper. Yeah, a little bit. 
Okay. Yeah, they're certainly nowhere near. Again, they're nowhere near. Yeah. As read them on comicskingdom.com. Yeah, and it's not like, for instance, oh, rips and losing stuff. It's not like the colours you're going to get in the free trade paperbacks Correct. where That's right. it's the papers quality, which uh, Ankit yep. said. A, a good example of that is this is a Moonstone trade paperback. Um, now, I've said before the podcast, Moonstone, for me, uh, I started, I was a, a younger fan. Um, <laughs> it, it, it really showed me the potential of what colour could do for the Phantom looking at the Moonstone stuff. But in these colours in this trade paperback, which is cheaper paper than what it originally was um, uh, printed on, is a lot is not as sharp as what as it was. Hmm. So I think, yeah, I think it... I think I mean, that will be the next thing, I guess. If, if yeah. Rebuck suddenly print everything in colour, um, it's, it's, you know, it's like anything. People will say, oh, I want slightly better. And once you get better, you're like, okay, that's good. It'll hold you for about five minutes before you start going, oh, what's the next thing? What's the next improvement? So yeah. if Fru does go suddenly like that 1992 decision by Tim Funtelman to go all colour, if, if Fru did that, then it wouldn't be very long at all before people are starting to say, hey, come on, let's improve the quality of the paper so that you, we get a better product. Mm. Um, and, and that's where that price will just keep going up. And um, at what point do Fru price them out of, themselves out of the market or do they have to reduce to being monthly again instead of fortnightly? What impact does that have on their overall business model? So, um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of decisions that go behind, uh, sorry, a lot of factors and a lot of variables that go behind the decisions that um, the Fru mm. have got to make. I think that's a really good point because what I think um, Team Phantom and, 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 and the Swedish edition of, of Phantom and has to their advantage is they have automatic access to the broader Scandinavian market. So they, they're not just reliant on domestic sales in Sweden. You know, for years they could have their work syndicated to Norway, Denmark, um, and Finland. Um, and also, you know, into other European countries. Um, <clears throat> at the time, you know, Germany, um, I think for many years, um, was, uh, an export market. West Germany, as, as it was then, was an export market for, you know, um, phantom and stories and phantom stories generally. So, um, Semic Press, as it was then, um, was in an enviable position. They weren't just reliant on one domestic market. They had an entire region that they could syndicate their work to. They could also syndicate their work to India, which they did, um, with Egmont India in the early 90s as well. Um, and they also had Australia as a new export market mm. um, from the mid-1980s onwards. So they've been able to offset a lot of their initial um, production costs, their sunk production costs of commissioning writer, artist, you know, colorist, whatever. Um, they can recoup those costs and profit um, by virtue of being able to syndicate their work through many different markets um, around the world. FRU has never had really that option available to them. I think only until recently where we've seen some of the Australian-drawn um, phantom stories appearing in phantom in, in Sweden. And I think if that happens, that's great. That, that's that got to be economically beneficial for FRU. And if that helps them offset production costs of, you know, full-colour printing, great. That would be really good. I have a suggestion of... Um 
the the PDF transfers and whatever to India and and maybe working with Regal and getting them to you know a little bit of scratch you scratch my back I'll scratch yours they get the comic for a reduced price we get the coloured version straight away um, and so the first time even through readers said it's in colour because of that arrangement it'd be fantastic to see um, see something like that and that might be a way forward that's economically viable. Yeah, I, I think I think the scope for syndication um, and reproduction of different phantom stories across different markets now has never been technically mm. easier. easier. Yeah. Um, it's whether the, it, it makes sense. And it also depends on what contractual arrangements, you know, different publishers have with King Features licensed representatives in those countries. Regal in India you know, may have certain conditions placed on their publishing contract, which might prevent them from doing, you know, reproducing true stories. But I think, you know, um, here are two markets which are proven, you know, grounds for the popularity of the Phantom. Um, if they, if that's possible, if, if through can get Australian drawn stories published in Sweden, that sets a precedent. I'd love to see that kind of similar transfer occur between fruit and say regal in india because then indian readers would be able to you know enjoy the benefit of these stories at a fraction of the price and we get the color you know printing trade-off as well so let, let, let's hope this podcast reach, reaches the right ears <laughs> okay <laughs> and then they remember this was our idea <laughs> when dan said about the paper thing that the paper gets better than what this is exactly an issue that i know regal is facing right now regal was doing really good the paper was quality was good but it was mad in the first two issues in the three and four, they increased the GSM on the mat. It was still very good. But then they made this Christmas special of five and six. And they went to gloss with uh, 90 GSM. And that has kind of become like a point of no return now for them. Because, mm. uh, because it, it was so big and so well received that they cannot go back. But unfortunately, yeah. this... Uh, this situation is such that there has been like almost a 30% upcharge on that exact paper thing. So, and the thing is then they can't increase the price because uh, they are still stuck on the 200. So they are kind of like really stuck in a situation where if they go back, people will be like, what? And if they don't carry on with this, they're going to take a hit with their thing. So I, I, I really don't know how they're going to, uh, because I, I know for a fact that they are really contemplating about what but mm. they are going to stick with the gloss paper, but it's going to come at a big price for them. Mm. So, so clearly the there's such a thing as being too successful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what we're going to do, has anyone got any final points they want to raise or something? Um, and then I've got a bunch of final questions. And there's going to be short answers to end off the podcast. So if you've got a point you want to make, this is your time to make it. Uh, Kevin? No, no, no further points. I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. This has been uh, a fascinating discussion. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, Anka, you got any uh, final points yeah. you want to make? I, I would like to say one thing. The reason why I advocate for color so much is not for me per se. The reason I advocate for color, <laughs> I am looking at the fact that the Phantom as a character is. Uh, I'm 32. I'm not really young. I might look a little different, but the deal is not. <laughs> I am still 32, which is practically going towards middle age. But if I look at somebody in India right now who's like 13, 14, 
and especially now with so much different thing from video games to people having apps and ipads coming in reading habits are going down so when they are going to read something there is going to be a lot more to do with it people are coming back to comics because of movies so unless king features also starts really putting the phantom brand out there with its visibility like for me like i tell you another great thing about me why the phantom was relevant was when i was uh, i think uh, 9 or 10 years that old 94 95 that point of time phantom 2040 hit the scene and immediately after that defenders of the earth was screened so you had like a continuity there so that period of my life uh, i was you know there was still something else like i was not reading phantom comics then but i was watching phantom 2040 as a thing constantly and you know uh, that's one of the reasons why in my head i really wish there was like a comic spin off and they still have like a series for phantom 2040 because i really think that is something that works because right now all the comic companies have alternate universes and they are heavily marketing them like dc is right now doing with futures end which and you constant is writing night in futures end if you i, I don't know if you know mm. and uh, and marvel is now again pushing something which they did in the 90s uh, marvel 2099 then spider verse so all of these so the phantom mm. 2040 is something which is very easy to put in contemporary view so bringing that back in say like a comic series or even even merchandise anything or toys <laughs> like can you imagine after in 2021 we have toys right now like after so many years we have proper action figures and i don't want to go in there because i am also an action figure not i collect them and uh, and and if you and by the way you you think people are nitpicky about the phantom in black and white wait till you see toy collectors get these and then they're going to like they're going to raise hell about accessories skull and they are going to like rip it apart <laughs> and that so this is the reason the reason i'm talking about color is color is just another step forward but it is just one step if we want to keep the phantom relevant and not and because we are falling back as the whole like hbo max and marvel unlimited and all of this disney plus is coming in the phantom is going to fall back the comics are going to fall back no matter how good your stories are or whatever it is the mm. new generation won't go up and pick it up on a comic store and for that you will have to do these marketing changes color is just one part of the puzzle and 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 that is why it also rests on people like the publishers what are they doing with the license it's not just about comics it's food doing something else like now we have a game board or something is somebody going to make a video game for the phantom are they going to make a movie something <coughs> anything like that yeah mm. actually can i just jump in yeah, on that course. point that you made ankit um i think it's really interesting you talked about you know the defenders of the earth cartoon um and phantom 2040 the problem with the phantom is that he doesn't have a lot of in the way of gadgets in the in in some respects he's quite an old fashioned hero he he rides around on a horse you know he's got two guns you know two colt 45s um he's a very low tech kind of superhero character whereas batman who is mortal like the phantom um has a lot of high tech gadgets you know batcopter batmobile whatever and you can easily market and um duplicate those as toys as spin off merchandise the one thing that was really interesting about defenders of the earth is that you saw this new line of phantom merchandise come out i think there was even like the phantom flew a special 
you know, skullcopter, you know, futuristic helicopter. And they made a, a, you know, a a really impressive toy of that. We don't see, you're quite right, we don't see enough of that kind of, not just the prestige collector's market figurines or action figures, you know, catering for the sort of high-end collector, but for, you know, kids, you know, going into a department store or a toy store um, who see, you know, all these Batman and Superman action figures, Where's the equivalent of the Phantom? And I think this is something that King Feature Syndicate has struggled to do for decades with the Phantom. They have never been able to find the right licensees who can develop the kind of merchandise, the sort of mass market merchandise, which keeps the Phantom in the public eye to the same extent that, you know, Batman toys have kept Batman in the public eye since the 1960s TV series with Adam West. Every time there's a new Phantom film, fran- uh, Batman film franchise, there's like a, a tsunami hmm. of Batman toys, which literally floods the market. And that is what keeps the character in the public eye, especially amongst younger audiences who don't read comics or who aren't exposed to the comics i think the phantom really suffers from that merchandising deficit there i think you've hit on a really key point there okay. we need another phantom 2040 we need another defenders of the earth the funny thing is right now even they are it's not just toys when the movies come out mcfarland toys they are bringing out when comic arcs are coming out and people who don't read comics they are looking at the great uh, like wow great uh, design and this and that and they're buying comics just to be the backdrop for their display. Yeah. Selling both. That's the thing. And yeah. That's why I think you know, this color and everything is just that upgrade to that point. It's just uh, one aspect of a larger yeah, yeah, issue. Yeah. yeah. We're only, we're only going to be able to solve one. We're only going to try and solve one problem in this podcast, and that's color. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not merchandise and king features. That's something that we've been, uh, been a huge bugbear of myself and and on this podcast for a while. Uh, Dan, have you got any comments you no, want to no. raise before oh, I get into my final questions? I was just going to say, um, it would be interesting to know, and obviously they've got an entire universe, but what percentage of um, Star Wars income has come from the merch? Um, every movie, there's so many toys, so many toys. Um, so, yeah. Um, oh, no, I reckon we go straight into the final questions, German. What, and what are these? Are going to be like five words or less answer for yes. each question? Yes. So five words, yes, no type of question. So, uh, Dan, you first. Will colour generate new younger readers for free comics? Yes. Pa- Kevin? Yes. Anchor? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, where to for free? Do they do a mix of black and white or colour or stick with what they're doing? Anchor? Uh, mix of black and white and colour because they're a business. They have to cater to the business. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then also on follow-up, what's what's the ratio? Like a third of colour to two-thirds black and white? So, I would say get rid of things like the Phantoms who are and all of that put more trade like three trade paperbacks a year would be great yeah that's actually going to be my point when we review the uh, annual coming up so um so yeah kevin um i i would like to see a mix i think if they can have two-thirds black and white and a third color if it's commercially viable 
um, and that that mix you know results in greater sales, then yes, by all means, they have to do it. And and I, I for one would welcome it. I think it'd be a chance to bring in new material into the franchise, which you know perhaps we haven't been able to see before, simply because it was originally published in colour. Hmm. Dan. Um. Yeah, I think I think we're probably on a progression now, and we'll get to that one third, two third ratio. But I think we'll go past that. And whether it's in five years, that's probably best case scenario. If you're a colour advocate, or maybe ten, um, everything will be in colour except maybe the replicas, which will be the the touchstone for the traditionalists. And that's probably um, about when we'll get finish the countdown um, yeah. of the of the two hundred replicas too. So yeah, that that's um, that's where I see the future, I suppose. Okay, now the next question, user now in charge of free, okay? Um, would you colour the newspaper reprint stories, Dan? The reprints? So um, if, you were to reprint, if you were to reprint newspaper stories like the Cyban or the Skyban, would you only print them in colour or would you do them in black and white? Um, I'd do them in colour if there was a cheap version available. I probably wouldn't pay someone to colour it for me. Okay. Kevin? I Tricky question. It depends on the artist and the story. I think the Wilson-McCoy stories probably lend themselves to colour more so than the Ray Moore. Wilson-McCoy had a simpler, bolder style, a much more open-line style. So even the dailies uh, that he drew in black and white, I think would lend themselves to colour better than the Ray Moore stories. Um, likewise with Cy Barry, even though his daily black and white episodes, you know, are incredibly strong, I think his style is sufficiently open um, and crisp that it lends itself to colouring in a way that the Raymore stories simply can't. Having said that, those cards that um, you showed us earlier from your Canadian friend, the sort of bootleg phantom cards, they're impressive, but I don't know if that's sustainable to do for reprinting an entire Raymore story. So I'm, I'm more open to the idea of colourising older newspaper strips than I was, say, five or ten years ago. Okay. Anchor. Uh, personally, I would look at it this way. Uh, like the way I, I would not do anything from the eras of McCoy and then that they are out. Only from the Barry era, colored, and I would not put them as daily uh, thing. I would put them in trade paperbacks, almost like specials for Sai Barry, like selected stories which have like a, a common theme between them. In that way, you get all the daily stuff out very fast and also you get readers to get like a complete story saga which is loosely based on each other with consistent art and consistent look and Saibari was so ahead of his own time I would say that even now the way he does layouts and the way he does all the panels it can easily move like a modern comic and everything and I think that would be a good lucrative thing because you can market that not just to uh, the Australian readers, you can market that internationally anywhere it becomes like a solid story. The dailies are that. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, last question. What's your answer to that, Jim? Sorry? What's your answer to that? Oh, um, I haven't been thinking about my own questions. I've been trying, <laughs> trying to keep this uh, podcast on track. Um, I, 
So, I'll, okay, I'll do... I think colour will generate new younger readers, but like what Ankit said, I think it can't just be... That's not just the sole question, the sole answer. Mm. Comics isn't just the sole answer. There needs to be more than just colour comic for the younger readers. Um, with Fruit, I think, in my opinion, if I was in charge of Fruit and I had the, the, the colour black and white conundrum, I would, now this is just what I would do, I would get rid of the annual and I would do an extra trade paperback because I think the annual is a little bit old-fashioned and I, I, I love the idea or the concept of the annual, but just reprinting stories in black and white uh, with a new cover, which is something that a lot of readers have already seen. If it was... if so, for instance, the Cy Barry one, the one that's just recently come out, if that was all reprinted in colour, I think it would be a lot more appealable to the newer readers, but also to the crusty old, rusted old fans like us, because we'll be like, oh, wow, this is in colour. I want to have a, I want to have a look at it. I'm not going to open my annual. My annual is going to stay sealed and it's going to be filed away. If it was in colour, I would open it up and have a read of it. It's... So, um just, just to let, let everyone know, the 2021 annual costs $17.50 for 244 pages black and white. How much would you be prepared for, to pay for 244 pages colour? Okay, wow. so, so for instance, this trade paperback that I'm looking at, uh, which is the number two, yep. this was $30. Yep. And it's 200-odd pages and it was in full colour. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. So, you know, I... Sorry, what were you going to say, Kevin? No, this is really interesting what Fru's doing, moving into the sort of trade paperback market. If you go back and look at the history of um, how Phantom and comics were published in Sweden back in the 70s, they were splicing and dicing them in all sorts of different formats. You had the fortnightly magazine, but there were also paperback book collections. Um, there were special edition series just devoted to the Cy Barry stories, reprinted in colour. Um, so they're obviously trying to package, you know, putting old wine into new bottles, as it were. Um, and I think, you know, if, if the example had been the Cy Barry annual that's just come out in Australia being done in colour, that would have been a really interesting example. That I think if through, you know, I don't know if their trade paperbacks were sold just in newsagents or whether they were trying to hit the bookstore market as yeah. well and libraries. I think if they want to expand their retail presence, like in terms of the, the number of sales channels they want to go to, then I think publishing more book-style publications, even if they wanted to go to back in the mid-'80s, what Budget Books did. They had those two collections of um, Cy Barry stories there, and they actually came up really well. You had complete stories. The reproduction was good. The stories were unedited, uncensored, and they actually, you know, cast what the through product was back then in a fairly poor life because you got this nice colour card stock paperback book landscape format which really lent itself to showing off the Cyberry um, stories um, and people go oh wow this is actually quite special 
this is pretty good. I think if Fu wants to continue experimenting with these different kinds of publishing formats to see which one works in which different market, um, I think that's only a good thing. I think the fact that they're going for glossy trade paperbacks as well as, you know, your fortnightly black and white magazine, I think it's a really positive development. I, I hope they continue to succeed and experiment with that approach. Well, ironically, one of the um, stories I distinctly remember reading in the budget books was The Mysterious Ambassador, and yeah. uh, that's the first story in the 2021 annual special. Um, ah. So <laughs> there you go. There you um, go. I agree, so the budget books print quality and size because of the, the format um, is probably a better way to tell the story. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's tailor-made to reproduce the daily strip artwork in, in a really good size, so you really get to savor Cyberry's artwork and in a crisp reproduction. And it's not a deluxe format; it's just you know increased just by a fraction the, the sort of production level. You don't have to commit to a glossy, full color, mm. all singing, all dancing trade paperback to you know repackage older stories in a new and compelling way. So I think if they continue to do that and prove successful for them, um, more power to Fru for doing so. All right. So just to finish what I was saying, if I was – this is just Sorry, me – I would just have your regular issues and yep. then I would have, so say, you know, 20 to 25 of them and then I would have more trade paperbacks. That's how I would do it. And then mm -hmm. that way you've got your regular issues, which are in your black and white, and then you've got your trade paperbacks and your special issues, which are in colour. And that way they can go in bookstores. Um, not sure how they'll go in newsagents, but mm. they're also comic book shops and stuff. So that's how I would do it. Now, one more question for all of you. Are we back to five words or less? Yep, five words or less. That's <laughs> <laughs> really worked so far, hasn't it? <laughs> well, it did for a little bit. Um, <laughs> As a and this is as a reader, not as an owner of free. Would you be happy with less comics, less free comics a year, if you had more color comics? Uh, Ankit, I know your answer, so I'll go for you first while the others think. Yeah, I would be very happy because, to be very honest, it doesn't really bother me. But if I'm putting myself in the shoes of an Australian reader and of very forward. Phantom fan, and I'm guessing who all the subscribers are are in the 50, 60 age group. I think they would want more comics, but less comics than current. They would, they would get furious. They'd probably cancel their uh, subscriptions. So, as an Australian, no, as an Indian, yes. <laughs> Very good answer. Um, Kevin. Um, no, I don't think I'd be willing to make that trade-off. I like the fact that every two weeks there's a new Phantom comic there. Um, I like the fact that in the space of a month or a month and a half, you'll see three separate issues um, available for you to choose from. Um, I like that regularity. I like that frequency. Um, I guess I am probably being a bit old-fashioned in that regard, but when I was back in Melbourne in the latter half of last year, you know, being able to go to a news agency you know, and pick up, you know, a new Phantom comic every second week, it was just like, oh, I've missed this, um, you know, because in America, no one knows who the hell the Phantom is, mm -hmm. um, except for, you know, diehard minority audience. Um, but, you know, that the ability to do that, I think, is 
such an important part of Australian Phantom Reader's life that I think, you know, there would be serious withdrawal symptoms if, if they cut back to a monthly schedule. It would be like, eh. <laughs> Definitely. Dan, That's my answer. <laughs> um, on, the longest five words ever. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, I'm not like surprised you felt like that, though, Kevin, because while you were in Melbourne, probably you were only allowed outside once every two weeks. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it was pretty much. It was like a prisoner being able to walk the yard, you know, once every two days. It was like... <laughs> um, I, I would agree, though. I would say no. I think that the frequency is really important. Um, for reasons we've all we mentioned a little while ago about the diversity of stories, um, yes, Fru has got a history through the '80s and, and, and prior, I suppose, of massive uh, regular reprints, and you're seeing the same stories and the same style of stories all the time. But in the last five years, we've seen such a diversity of stories, and we would never have seen those if we were only producing like like a Marvel or a DC six issues a year. You know how horrendous mm. would that be? Yeah. Um, to, and to go down to those levels for, for colour, no, not worth it. The, the variety of stories, the frequency of stories, the, the sheer volume of stories, um, you know, I really enjoy that. And uh, so, no. Our uh, comics and news podcasts would be a lot shorter. Wouldn't uh, they? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't get to talk to you as often, Jim. That <laughs> could also be a benefit. Uh, <laughs> um all right, guys. Well, I really appreciate your time tonight. Uh, we're on about two and hours. No, you, what, what was your answer to that one? Um, I have to admit, I'm probably with you. And this is why I would probably do, I would just do 25 or 26 or, or whatever the number is, regular issues, like 36 page ones, and then have your separate line, which is all your colour stuff. Mm. And then that right. way, that way, you know, you've got, say, you know, three or four of these out a year, every quarter, something like this mm. would be amazing. Uh, mm. And then that way, you know, and one of them could purely just be, you know, Ray Moore reprints or Wilson McCoy mm. reprints and they're done in colour or Cy Barry ones. And, and then that, and you know, that, that that's how that's how I would do it in a perfect You want to have your cake and eat it too, don't you? Of course. <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> yeah. You probably and, need two editorial panels for this. Like a, one panel which is working for those quarterly issues and one panel which is being that would raise costs also. Yeah. And, and I don't know. That, that's how I would do it. But I'm not in charge of fruit. I'm j I just, we just help run the podcast. So we get to do all these pipe dreams. Um, <laughs> not, not bound by anything like the reality. Yeah, no. Or, no. Or, or a mortgage or something like Correct. that. <laughs> so I just want to say thanks, guys. I really enjoyed tonight. Uh, I learned a lot um, learning about comics from outside of phantom but also from a, a sweden and an indian point of view as well so um on behalf of myself guys i really enjoyed um uh you guys joining us um so is there anything anyone wants to quickly say or or anything like that and then we'll do the outro no just wanted to say thank you again for having me on the on the podcast it's a pleasure as always um Anke, it's lovely to have met you for the first time Thank you for sharing your insights, you know, because um, one of the things I was really conscious of when I was working on my book was that I, I wasn't hearing enough 
as many voices from Indian readers as I would have liked. Uh, and that was just because the, the logistics of doing a survey. So having this firsthand, you know, knowledge and insight from you, um, speaking on behalf of the entire Indian people, no pressure, <laughs> um, uh, is great. So thank, thanks. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And, um, yeah, great stuff. Let, let's hope Regal is listening and Fru is listening and they get to, you know, take our suggestions on board. Thanks, guys. And I would like to really, like, really thank all of you for, you know, having me, you guys here, and Kevin, like, who's like a literary historian, and you guys are like, like, you know, I, I feel very humbled when I'm, because in Phantom Realm, I'm like a, I'm, I'm like Gudan, I would say. It's not <laughs> my stature. But yeah, like, I, I, my stature is kind of like Gudan com compared to you guys, and I, I learn so much every time I see like especially because to be very honest, you guys have a lot more richer publishing history of the phantom in terms of just what is out there and learning about the Swedish side and this. I learned so much almost every time and it's a huge honor for me because I used to always like for years Chronicle Chamber, I used to just watch it, you know, like the videos of the trades and I, I never imagined I'd be here one day. And it's like, <laughs> for me. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. No, no worries, Dan. Did you learn anything tonight, mate? Yeah, plenty of stuff. And and you know the, um, you know, again, I just Abba and Ace of Base. Who would have thought that they? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and kid, I, I wanted to say thank you to to you as well. And you're very generous with your words. Um, uh, we're just a couple of blokes who, who have too much time on our hands to talk about freedom. So don't, don't, don't feel like uh, it's that. It's, but uh, I think you've been very magnanimous in not mentioning the cricket one time this entire podcast. Yes. So thank you very much. <laughs> um, the, uh, your, your team was magnificent over here and taught us a, a lesson. And, and I've learned, lot, learned from you tonight as well, mate, in terms of what you've been able to share and some of your insights. And, and Kevin, as always, um, um, I've, I loved reading your book um, and have referred to it many times since for, for a variety of things. And uh, and I've been enjoying your work on Facebook lately, although I'm getting a bit worried about your your influence on Tommy Hughes's legacy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Look, yeah, um, yeah uh, for, for those who are watching this, yes, I have been going slightly crazy on the comic swipes facebook page discovering um how through in the 70s and 80s were basically lifting a lot of swedish phantom and cover designs for the australian edition there um and it's not to have a go at tommy hughes because i actually would really like to know what tommy hughes actually did because i i don't think we've ever understood what his role was as art director at through and i think it's he probably did a lot of everything um, but I think when people say he's responsible for producing all those covers uh, over all that time, I think if you look at the mm -hmm. diversity of cover styles and whatever, it's just like, this can't be one guy. <laughs> yeah. It was almost like he must have been in charge of putting the blue background behind whatever. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. He was probably, yeah, he was probably, you know, like the production manager and, and art director. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I just find it fascinating, you know, going through the Swedish Phantom and covers and, go, and the Fratelli Sparta covers and going, 
wait a minute, that was used on that fruit cover and that one and that one. So, yeah, for those of you who want to plunge down a rabbit hole, comic swipes on Facebook, look for me. <laughs> I don't awesome. think we'll ever know with uh, with Tommy being dead now and um, yeah, and Richardson and all of those guys from through, um, those are probably stories that are lost to time, unfortunately. Yeah, sadly so. But, um, hey, you never know. Someone may pop up on Facebook and say, oh, I used to have beers with Tommy all the time. And, you know, we live in hope. We live in hope. If that happens, yeah. we'll get them on the podcast for sure. That's it. You betcha. That's <laughs> it. But that's the podcast for another time. So thank you, everyone, for listening to us. Uh, as we said before, our website is chroniclechamber.com. Our email address is chroniclechamber at gmail.com. If you have an opinion... Uh, you can um, comment on this podcast on social media or on Facebook, we're on Instagram and we're on Twitter as well. Um, if you want to subscribe to us, uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or other apps like Podbean, Player FM, CastBox or YouTube, of course. So a thank you to everyone who has listened to us. We hope you enjoyed that. We hope you have had uh, an interesting time thinking about the phantom and color and if you have an opinion make sure you uh, jump on social media and let us know what your opinion is especially if those quick fire questions that we had towards the end we'd love to know your opinion on those as well and if you're on social media you can use more than five words so from <laughs> myself uh, I want to say thank you uh, Dan, Kevin and Anker uh, always a pleasure talking ago, to you gentlemen uh, from myself uh, thank you listeners and, and thank you guys and everyone happy happy piracy Injustice and cruelty And all my sons will follow me So evildoers will believe That this man cannot die The Phantom The ghost who walks The Phantom Enemies beware The Phantom's always there But you won't find the Phantom 